Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. You know, so my wife and I, we're in a very fun season right now. Uh, we just had, six months ago, we had a baby girl. It was our very first child. Her name's Desiree. They're putting a picture up of her on the screen. And uh, so she is the joy of our lives, and, and we just love her so much. And, you know, one thing that I've realized throughout this process is I realize how thankful I am for the nine months you get leading up to this baby coming into your life. And I got to say, pregnancy was really easy for me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm so thankful that we are responsible for this living being and that we get nine months to kind of get our minds right and get prepared and get focused. And, you know, in that process, people will often come up to you and say, hey, how you feeling? How do you feel? Feeling ready? Feeling ready for this baby? And I don't want to say I was overconfident, but I was definitely confident. Because when people would ask me that, I would often say, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I know it's going to be hard. I know there's going to be some challenges. I know I'm probably a little tired but I've been reading these books. And there's this book on how to get your baby to sleep for 12 hours. And there's this book on how to get your baby to stop crying. So yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. And typically they would give the same look you're giving right now and they'd say, good luck. <laughs> then you flash forward three months to 3 a.m. and your little girl is screaming and crying her head off and you're just, I'm pacing back and forth as fast as I can trying to just sleep, sleep, dang it. And so, you know, you're just thinking sleep, child. And, uh, you know, those books were not of much use at that point. And I remember just getting so frustrated. One night I was so frustrated and I, I was just like to Kristen, I was like, this baby is fed. This baby has a clean diaper. She should be sleeping. And Kristen looked at me and said, she's a baby. And one of you needs to grow up. She didn't say that, but that would have been awesome, wouldn't it? I'll help you out, Kristen. Okay. But you know, there was a frustration. There was a disconnect between what I had assumed was the ideal, the expected, what's expected, and what I actually experienced. And isn't that frustrating sometimes when you have an expectation and an experience that don't match up? Some of you, you had that dream job, that dream career, that dream future lined up, and you went to school for it, and you paid a lot of money, and you ended up going, and then you got that job, and that dream turned into a nightmare really quick. And you're still going to be paying off student loans for the next 40 years of your life. I mean, that's just the reality that you live in. Some of you, you were looking for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and then you got married, and it was like Mr. and Mrs. can't get anything right, you know? Because I know some of you ladies, you married some guys that don't have a wardrobe, they have a floor drobe. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's the one where their clothes are all over the floor and then they pick up a, a piece of clothing and they think, clean, dirty, I don't know, let's wear it. <laughs> and they'll figure it out, right? It's not exactly what you expected. Or maybe you paid $10,000 to go to a, an incredible music festival and you were so excited to get there and see all of your favorite artists. And then you got there and it was cheese sandwiches and tents. Shout out to Fire Music Festival. Those of you who know what I'm talking about. But man, there is such a frustration we feel when we have an expectation that is different from what we experience. Especially when it's an ideal. When it's something that we know there's a better way that it should be. And as a follower of Christ, there have been moments throughout my journey 
where I would experience these moments where I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading the New Testament, I'm reading the scriptures, I'm reading the words of Jesus, and I'm reading about the church in the early days and the conception of the church. And I'm reading this and I'm going, I see what's happening here, and yet I don't see it in me and I don't see it in the world around me. And there was this frustration because I'm like, man, look at this church. This is a church that is so consumed with the presence of God and they're so consumed with radical generosity that they'd sell whatever it takes to help the people around them and they break bread together and then there's those miraculous things that are taking place and people are getting healed and people are being raised from the dead. And I kind of would like look at that and then look at my life and then look around. I'm saying, where is that? And I love the American church, the capital C church. I'm, I'm a big fan of churches of all denominations. I love churches. And there are some amazing things that we do in America. We are so generous with the world. We are so generous. We are incredibly gifted in leadership. We are so focused on the mission of helping people come to know Jesus. I love that about the church worldwide and, and, and especially in America. But then I also have to admit that sometimes when I look at the church in China and in certain places of Africa where it could cost you your life to follow Jesus, I just think, man, these people are seeing power and they're seeing some things that we don't get to see here. Because oftentimes church for us can become this consumeristic thing where if we don't, if the speaker doesn't make you laugh and cry in the same message or if the music is not at the right volume or the right style, oftentimes we're like, well, I'll just go down to the church down the road, right? And we have this consumeristic mindset in places uh, that are here, but when we look across the world, it's like, it's not like that. And so there's this frustration that built up in me, but you know, the truth is maybe you don't have to look around. You don't have to look at the church worldwide. You could just look at your own personal life. For you, religion or Christianity has kind of turned into this empty dry list of things you're supposed to do. It's some boxes you're supposed to check off. And you're trying and you're doing it, but you either feel really guilty about it or you feel like it's unachievable. It just becomes this kind of lifeless approach to God. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're considering it or maybe you've just been kind of turned off by it. But the thing that has been one of the biggest hangups for you is not Jesus. You actually like Jesus. But it's been that when you interact with his followers or people that call themselves Christians, you think they're really not much different than me. They're just a little more judgmental. And they just seem like they, they just feel more bad about the stuff that we do together. <laughs> That's it. And I think if a lot of us were honest with ourselves, we would talk about our Christian experience. And we wouldn't say it in church and we wouldn't say it to your pastor. But you might just be honest with yourself and say, you know what? My life as a Christian is just kind of boring. All the fun stuff I got to do before, I don't get to do anymore, and I've just been kind of bored. And this was my story. I grew up in an incredible church with pastors who were parents, so I'm a PK, and you know PKs, they either become pastors or they go the exact opposite direction. And I, I remember growing up in this incredible family of faith, and, and they built so much into me, but by the time I got to middle school, I, I remember having this conversation with my best friend. And I remember talking to him, and I remember just saying, man, you know, someday I think I want to follow Jesus. You know, when I'm really old, like 21. <laughs> someday I'm going to follow Jesus, but for now, I just want to have fun. And maybe that's kind of where you're at. You're like, you know what? I just felt like Jesus promised me all this cool stuff when I followed him, and it just feels dry and empty. But I got to tell you that if that is your experience, if that is your approach to faith, that's that's not what Jesus intended 
for you. And I want to ask you this question today. And actually, I want to personalize it and see if you can ask yourself this. Does my faith make me come alive? When you think about your faith, when you think about your approach to God, is it something that brings life to your soul? Is it something that is the very center of your life? Is it something that gives you power and strength? Or is it something that feels dry and empty? Because I can promise you that Jesus never intended for your approach to him to be devoid of life and devoid of power and devoid of love. And so I want to look at something that Jesus said to all of his followers that is at times both challenging and sometimes inspiring, but can always feel overwhelming. And so I want to read to you from John, the 14th chapter. We're going to look starting at verse 12. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Everyone say truth. That means it ain't no lie. Or for my English teachers, that means it's not a lie. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. I want to let that sink in for just a second. See, as I read that and maybe as you hear that, a lot of us are starting to feel a little uncomfortable. And if you're not feeling uncomfortable, it might be because you don't remember what those works that Jesus is talking about are. So let me just catch you up to speed. Jesus did works that were powerful in word. He would teach with an authority and a grasp on reality that no one had ever seen before. Jesus would prophesy things that were to come in the future and they would happen with incredible accuracy. Jesus did things, he did works of love that were extraordinary, revolutionary, and radical. He touched the lepers who were untouchable and healed them. He was the type of guy who would be so hospitable with people who were not like him that they loved him. They were sinners. They were people that were so far from God in everyone's eyes that Jesus was just like, those are the people I want to be around. He loved the unlovable. And Jesus also did works of power. Jesus prayed for the sick and they got healed. He spoke to nature and nature bowed to his requests. Jesus raised people from the dead. He gave the ability to those who were paralyzed to walk. And so with all of that in mind, when Jesus says works, I want you to now read this again with me. I tell you the truth that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. It does not say the spiritually elite. It does not say your pastor. It says anyone who believes in me will do the works I have done and greater works. Jesus wanted you to recognize that he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is way greater than anything you could have ever expected on your own. That there is a power and there is a power in love that is so available to you that he wants you to realize that you have. In fact, this is why Paul, he started off his letter to the church in Ephesus with a very important thing that he prayed for them. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. 
This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul didn't pray that that church would have the power of Jesus Christ who raised from the dead inside of them. He prayed that they would understand the greatness of the power that is at work within them. In other words, when Jesus lived the life you were supposed to live but couldn't, when he said no to the temptations we all said yes to, he overcame life. When he said yes to the death that we were supposed to take, he took our death for himself, took our sin, our guilt, our shame upon himself. And then when he rose to life again three days later with the power that no earthly medicine or anything like that could bring about, Jesus in that moment purchased for you a power that is supposed to work within you and work around you. It's the power to not only forgive your sins and make you whole and new. It's the power to help you overcome whatever you're going through. It's the power to help you make a difference in the world around you. Jesus purchased, he paid the bill for that power to be active in your life. But how crazy is it that we don't utilize it? You know, power is an interesting thing. In fact, yesterday morning, our power went out where we lived. And you know, power is really interesting. In fact, can we kill the lights in here for just a sec? See, for millennium, people have gotten by without electricity. You can make it work. You can have candles. You can work with big windows and have daytime. People have been making it work for a long time, but you know, The reason we all use electricity and power is because it makes life so much easier. And how silly would it be for us to pay our electric bill every single month here at the church or you at your house, but never actually turn on a light and never actually charge your phone and never actually use your air conditioning? Power is there and it's made available. And here's what you've got to understand. That Jesus, when he died on that cross and rose to life again, he paid the bill so that you could have power in your life. And you can still make it work as a Christian. You can be a very good person and a nice person and a follower of Jesus. But Jesus wants to give you an easier way to utilize the things and do the things he's called you to do. It's power. And it's always activated in our own faith. We have to make a decision to turn the lights on, to use the power that God has given us. It's already paid for, but we've got to use it. And here's where I think a lot of us get tripped up, especially when it comes to the American church and kind of our culture and our Western culture, is that we kind of approach this individualistically. We view it as an independent thing. And, you know, as our our culture, we're going to really celebrate the people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and, and the people who didn't need anyone else's help and they didn't need anybody else. But you know, when Jesus thought of how he wanted to construct his kingdom here on earth and his church, he just figured, you know what? That's not going to work very well because there's too many holes in one person. There's too many weaknesses in one person. I'm going to make them a body. I'm going to make them a family that complement one another. And so when you were born again, you were born again into the family of God. And we are all given power, but it takes different expressions through all of us. Look what Paul says as he writes to the church in Rome. He says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. We all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 
So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. When Jesus went to be with the Father after he was ascended from the resurrection, he gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers each and every person who becomes a follower of Jesus. Every person that is born again is given the Spirit of God. They are filled with power, but the power takes different forms and different shapes. When you use your power in your cell phone, it's different than when you use your power in your washing machine. It's different than when you use it in a light bulb. Power takes different shapes and different forms, and God has gifted each and every one of you with a unique expression of his power. For some of you, it's the gift of encouragement. You are actually called to instill courage into other people. For some of you, it's the gift of serving. It's the ability to come alongside someone else's vision and just lend a helping hand. For some of you, God has given the ability to prophesy, to see things that are happening in someone's life, to see things that are ahead and be able to speak a word to them in due season. For some of you, you've been given the gift of teaching to be able to speak. Some of you, it's the gift of hospitality. Some of you, it's the gift of leadership. Some of you, it's the gift of mercy. Some of you, it's the gift of faith. No matter what your gift is, God wants to use it for his purpose because he has called all of us as the body of Christ to make a difference in the world around us, but to not just do it isolated, but to do it as one cohesive body. And I think a lot of times we get afraid to really use our gifts. We start to think about what people are going to think about us. We start to think about what it would look like in the world around us. And so we kind of box God into this nice, tame little place, this nice, tame, perfect thing where it's perfectly branded. We've got our lives perfectly branded. But I can promise you, if your Christianity, if your faith is boring, it's not God's fault. In fact, I'm going to tell you something that's not in the Bible. It's just in my opinion, okay? I'm just going to tell you it's my opinion. But I really believe that there should be consistent moments in your life that if God does not show up, you're going to look a little bit silly. That if God doesn't show up in his power and confirm what you're doing, that you're going to be kind of hung out to dry. That you're going to just be kind of on the edge there. It's going to take a little bit of courage and a little bit of boldness. And I think if, if we're consistently following Jesus, there should be some moments like that in our lives. Now, for me, in my life, one of the gifts that God has given me is the gift of healing something that he's done through me many times. In fact, I have entire, like, 100-plus stories of, of just moments where God used me to, to heal people. And so sometimes it's something as simple as a headache, and sometimes it's something like a torn ligament. But God has done incredible things through that. But almost all of the time, I've had to initiate asking someone to pray for them. There's a few times where people have come to me, but most of the time I've had to go to them. And I remember in college, I played baseball at my university, and so I had these teammates, and I was a freshman, and there was this senior who was not like me, typically. Uh, if you were to look at the direction of our lives, we were headed in very different directions. People knew I was the Christian and whatever came with that. And then he was the guy that was the partier and he was the one that was with different girls all the time. It just was his lifestyle. And I'll never forget, we were about to go on a four-mile run. Yes, baseball players do run every once in a while. And we were about to go on a four-mile run. And I, I saw him limping. And I just asked him, I was like, hey, I didn't know him very well, but I was like, hey, uh, what's going on with your ankle? He's like, well, I, I kind of twisted it, and I'm going to have to go on this run. And 
I was like, well, I've seen God heal people's ankles before. Would you mind if I just prayed for your ankle? And he was like, uh, sure. <laughs> what do you say to someone who asked you to pray, right? And so I prayed for his ankle. I gave my, all my heart to it. And it was so amazing because nothing happened. Nothing happened. He went on the run. He had to do it in pain. But over time, we began to build this relationship. And it was unlikely friends, but we were. And, and it kind of led to this point where we found ourselves in center field an hour before a game one day. And we're in center field. It's in batting practice. And there's fly balls going all around us, you know. And we began to get into this conversation. He began to open up to me about some of the wounds he had experienced, how his father had left their family at a very young age, and he always felt that sense of rejection. He always felt that sense of, why am I not good enough for you? What did I do that, that made you want to leave? And he began to break down in tears right in there in center field. And like, I'm just like, see, there's like fly ball. Like, you know, it's just one of those moments. You're, you're an hour before game time. But I just began to tell him about another father. See, there's a heavenly father that even if your earthly father didn't choose you, your heavenly father chooses you every time. And he loves you and he wants you. And he began to just open up and it was so cool because right there in center field, an hour before game time, I led him into a place where he came to a saving faith in Jesus. And that's an amazing story. And that's one like, I don't see that happening again unless I play like rec softball or something. I don't know, I, I didn't predict that, okay? But you know what I found out afterwards when we maintained our friendship? I found out about that first time I prayed for him. You know what he told me? He said, you know, when you prayed for my ankle that first time, nothing happened. And I was like, wah, 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 wah. you know, <laughs> you get that feeling. He said, but I was so moved that somebody cared enough about me to take time out of what they were doing to pray for me. And sometimes I just think we throw a failure label on something that God hasn't thrown a failure label on. And you might be so afraid to step out and be so concerned of what happens if God doesn't do this, but just understand that God is the one that orchestrates and God is the one that is able to take your faith, the faithfulness of willing to, being willing to step out courageously and he can use it how he wants to use it. But I, I wonder if some of us have also shut this down because we've seen it get weird. Maybe we've, uh, we've had someone prophesy over us and it, it gave us all this expectation, things didn't work out. Or maybe people just did weird stuff, right? Christians, we've, we've gone there before, okay? We've been weird before. And I, I really think this is the beauty of what Paul talks about. This is where accountability comes in. Paul says, if you have the gift of prophecy, I want you to make sure that there's three people there with the gift of discernment that can tell whether your prophecy is from God or if only part of it is, or if none of it is. If you have the gift of hospitality, I want you to be surrounded by people with the gift of evangelism who can actually help you not just stay inward focused, but help you to become someone who helps reach people who are far from you. If you have the gift of faith, you also need someone with the gift of discernment. If you need the gift of mercy, you're also gonna need someone with the gift of faith that can drive you and push you. God wants us to be accountable. And I, I just want to say this because I think sometimes we've thrown out what God wants to do simply because we've seen something weird, understandably. And I just got to tell you, God's not weird, but his power will always be unusual. When you look at the book of Acts, when you look at how things work there, 
you know, you see these apostles and they walk up to a man who's been paralyzed since birth and they say, get up, walk. And the guy stands up and he starts to walk. That's unusual. That's not a normal day at the office. That guy was expecting some silver and gold and they're like, we don't have any, but we can help you stand up. It's unusual, but it doesn't mean it's weird. And it doesn't have to be weird. And if you've kind of associated the two, just understand that, man, you can do these things in everyday life, in everyday ways. They don't always have to be accompanied by these unusual like manifestations. Like, man, sometimes God's power is so subtle, but effective. And so as a church, our heart is that each and every one of you would discover your gifting. You would discover the areas that God has specifically designed you for when you were born again. And this is why Growth Track is such a big deal to us here. We want people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And the Growth Track is all about helping you discover your DNA, discover the spiritual gifts God's given you, and then help plug you into a place where you can go make a difference. Because there are some of you with a gift of mercy who need to be in B-Kids or B-Kids Junior because there's a kid crying right now because their parents are going through something. There are some of you with the gift of faith who need to be a part of our guest services team and just inspire some people when they walk through that door. There's some of you that have leadership or hospitality and you need to be a connect group leader because you need to be able to bring people together who are far from God, who, are to, who love God and bring them together in the same space, make them feel comfortable. We need your gift. If your gift is serving, you're like, I don't have any gift. And I know some of you in this room or watching online or at TCI, you think I don't have a gift. God passed me over. God never passes anyone over. And the gifts that sometimes we applaud the most, the ones here on stage, God does not. He actually applauds the one that are the serving gifts, the ones where you can just submit your life to something else, to somebody else. He loves those. He, he commends those. The ones that take care of the widow and the orphan, he loves those. What is your gift? Because the world needs it. The body of Christ is called to make a difference, not just in a positive way, in a life-changing, gospel-transforming way. We've been given a mandate to connect an entire city and now multiple cities with God. And the world needs truth and the world needs love, but the world also needs to see the power of God. Let's pray. God, it is my prayer that you would use this moment to open up the eyes of understanding for people who have discounted themselves. Maybe they discount themselves because of their past. Maybe they discount themselves because of who they think they are. They're not much. They don't think they're ever gonna be known or ever gonna be famous. Or... But God, I just thank you that your power is available to each person in this room when they come to a new saving faith in Jesus. I just pray that even today, you would help people discover why they are here and how they can serve one another through their gifts. Help us as a church to collectively serve the world, to make a difference because of the gifts you've given us. Jesus, you're at the head of it all. Lead us in this process. As you stay in that attitude of prayer, I wanna give you an invitation 
See, because this whole time we've been talking about this power that comes when, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you come into a saving faith with him. It's a power that wipes away your sin. It's a power that gives you a new, create. you are a new creation. But Jesus would never force that on you. He loves you way too much to do that. So what he does instead is he, he draws you to himself with an invitation. He says, believe in me, come, follow me, and you will have life here and now, but also in eternity. And there are some of you that God has been drawing to himself. His love has been drawing you in, but he will never force you. And so if you say, I am ready to come into a saving faith, or I am ready to walk back into that place of saving faith, we're going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of just confessing our heart, the belief that's in our heart to God. And we really believe when we do this, it brings transformation. It's the beginning of a new journey. It's the, the rebirthing. And so as we pray, even if you're online watching at TCI, you can pray right with us. But I want to encourage you, if that's you, if this is your moment, to just let God know what's happening in your heart. Church, would you help me pray? No one prays alone. Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes, but I ask for forgiveness and I make a commitment to follow you. I believe in you, Jesus. You died for my sins and rose again so I could have life with you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.